Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here. We're going to be reading from John chapter 2. It'll be on the screens. I invite you to stay standing as we read God's word this morning. John 2, 1 through 12. <clears throat> on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now, draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. And so they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum and with his mother and his brothers and his disciples and stayed there for a few days. This is God's word. You can take a seat. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask that as we come to it now, you would give us hearts that are open to what you have to say. We know John's told us the reason he wrote these things is so that we might believe in the Son of God. So, Father, if there are any here who do not believe in you, I ask that today would be their first day of belief, that they would trust in Jesus for their salvation. For those here, Father, who are yours, I ask that you would give us a sense, a picture of Jesus' love and power, his desire to hear the prayers of his people. And for all of us, Lord, we ask that you would cause us to come humbly to your word, that your spirit would be at work. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're continuing in our series uh, in the book of John, as Pastor Eric said earlier today. And uh, today, we, uh, last week, was talking about Jesus gathering many of his disciples. And today, we get to see Jesus begin his public ministry. And he does it in this, uh, this story, which you may be familiar with. It's a well-known story from Scripture where he turns, if you did the math, something like 150 gallons of water into wine at a wedding. Uh, it's a well-known story. It's a powerful one. And as we come to it, uh, something that John said at the end of last week, or wrote for us, is that his disciples kept telling other people, come and see. Come and see what Jesus is like. As they would witness Jesus and uh, see what he was like, they wanted others to come and see what he was like as well. And so that's what we're going to do today. That's what we're going to be doing over the next several weeks in the book of John, is we're going to come and see our Savior, see what he's like. That's what John's going to begin showing us today. And so there's three points we're going to look at today. If you're a note taker, here they are. The first is that Jesus listens to anything his family asks him. The second, Jesus answers prayers in greater ways than we can imagine. 
And finally, in the third, believe in the bridegroom. Do those again. Jesus listens to anything his family asks him. Jesus answers prayers in greater ways than we can imagine. And finally, believe in the bridegroom. And it's my hope today as we uh, go through this passage, we're going to recognize the power and the love of Jesus in such a way that for those who are his, it will help us to approach him as a friend would, to offer him our small requests, our large requests, trusting that he can do with them what he will and will do greater things than we can imagine. So just as a refresher again, we were talking last week, Jesus has begun to gather his disciples. And now his disciples... Uh, and him have been invited to this wedding. Um, and at the, end of, at the end of last week's passage, you might remember, uh, it kind of ended with something of a cliffhanger uh, in cha- chapter 1, verse 51. Jesus saying to Nathanael, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And so as Pastor Eric said last week, uh, Jesus is almost giving a teaser of what's to come. You're going to see that God, Jesus is the Son of God. He's actually the bridge between earth and heaven, angels descending and ascending on him. And so that's going to bring us to our first point today, that Jesus listens to anything his family asks him. Now, if you've noticed, John's been kind of uh, doing this series of days along the way, uh, this last week and this week, and we're at the end of essentially a week of time. Uh, at the end of this week, uh, it is... Uh, beginning with John the Baptist saying, Behold the Lamb of God, seeing Jesus. And now we're at the end of the week, and Jesus is at this wedding. Now, um, I've been to quite a few weddings. I imagine some of you have been as well. For the most part, they're really fun events. It's fun to go to weddings. Uh, Most weddings have a a fairly predictable pattern. You probably know it. Guests will show up to the the ceremony. There's uh, maybe some songs. There will be a short message or maybe a long message, depending on the officiant. Uh, There's an exchange of vows, they exchange rings often, and there's a kiss, and you all know what happens after the kiss, everyone cheers, because it's exciting, it's exciting to be at a wedding, it's a joyful thing. Um, Then the bride and groom are introduced as husband and wife, there's a reception, there's food, there's dancing, it's a a time of joy. Now this wedding that Jesus was at was was probably um, a week long, it could have been up to a week long. just kind of wild to imagine. It's a long time to be celebrating a wedding. Uh, the groom most likely would have been responsible for paying for all of this. Uh, and just like our weddings often are today, it would have been a celebration. It would have been an exciting, joyful experience for God's people or for whoever's the gathering there to come and celebrate uh, two people joining in marriage. Uh, which I think it's kind of interesting to think about Jesus sitting at a wedding reception or ceremony or whatever right, the right word would have been. Um, eating and drinking, perhaps, uh, kind of joining in this excitement and the celebration. And that's what he's most likely doing, something like that, when his mom comes up to him and says, um, there's a problem. Uh, we're out of wine. Now, I, in most cultures, I think, uh, and in most times, it's, it's embarrassing to run out of food for guests. There was a time when Megan and I were first, uh, my wife Megan and I were first married. We were inviting a family of, I think, four over to our house, and we got to maybe about 30 minutes before they were going to arrive and realized that um, I had been doing the chicken wrong and it, was, it wasn't going to be edible, which I was like, that's no problem, we'll just order Domino's, that's fine. Um, and Megan was like, well, not everyone has your love for terrible pizza, so maybe we should not do that. So we, we did something else, I don't actually remember what we made, but we, we had some kind of food for them when they got there. Um, 
But you can kind of imagine that feeling. If, if the guests had actually shown up and, we, and they were expecting to eat and we had nothing to give them, that would have been very embarrassing. It would have been a, a, an embarrassing moment. Um, now, uh, multiply that in your mind times many of your friends and family, your new in-laws and their family and their friends. Uh, and that's what the situation is here. And then layer on top of that, uh, first century Judaism or the Jewish culture would have had a much stronger sense of shame and honor, honor and shame. So this would have been a pretty serious thing, a very, very shameful, embarrassing moment to run out of, of wine for your guests at this wedding. And so Jesus' mom lets him know about the problem. And if you notice, she's, she's subtle about it, right? She doesn't actually ask him to fix it. She just says, uh, lets him know we're out of wine. The wine has given out or run out. And it's a problem that needs to be fixed. Now, a little more context. At this point, Mary's husband, Joseph, was most likely no longer alive. He probably was dead at this point, which means Mary had very likely been leaning on Jesus as her older son uh, for all sorts of of different family issues or matters that needed to be dealt with. Uh, It's not clear necessarily that she knew that Jesus would be capable of a miracle uh, here or was going to do that, but she would have almost certainly known that Jesus was very wise that his advice was very, very good, and that so she can trust him, that she can tell him the problem, and that he will likely have a wise course, um, uh, course to follow in, re- in response to it. But Jesus has kind of a surprising answer, right, to his mom. He says, verse 4, Woman, what does this have to do with me? Now, my guess is that any women here, whether you're a mom or not, are maybe wondering a little bit about the address that Jesus is using here, calling his mom woman. Um, and for any of us, men or women, it probably wouldn't fly if you tried to call your mom that. <laughs> wouldn't recommend. Um, so it's not entirely clear what, what all the connotations would have been at this time, but we do know a few things. Jesus is God's son. God cares very much about children honoring their parents, so this would not have been disrespectful. Jesus was not disrespecting Mary. We also know that uh, Jesus, on a few occasions, does actually distance himself a little bit from his biological family, Um, not because he doesn't love them, but because they, like anyone else, was going to need to approach him first as Lord and then as as family. Um, And then third, we also know Jesus loves Mary very much. He cares very deeply about her and her well-being. He um, as he's hanging, dying on the cross, he tells one of his disciples to take Mary in as, as the disciple's own mother because of how much he cares about her and that he was not going to be able to fill that earthly role for her any longer. So, uh, so that's, that's some, some context for why Jesus might have called Mary woman. Um, but what's more important than the address is what comes next. When Jesus says in verse 4, my hour has not yet come. Now, since we read the entire passage, you know what's coming. Jesus is going to fix the problem. So it doesn't mean that Jesus isn't willing to fix the issue. So it's important to kind of ask, what does that mean when Jesus says that? And that key phrase, as as I suggested, is that uh, those words, my hour, my hour has not yet come. Now, those uh, those words, that phrase is going to be repeated several times in the book of John. Uh, Jesus will tell people that his hour has not yet come. John will say about Jesus that his hour had not yet come over and over again until we get to John chapter 12, which is right after the triumphal entry, and it's right before Jesus is crucified. And Jesus says in John 12, 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. 
But Jesus did not come to earth as a man primarily to solve a wine shortage at a friend's wedding. His mission was to die for Mary's sins and for your sins if you believe in him. Mary likely didn't realize this yet, but Jesus was helping her to recognize that his goal was much greater than what she was asking him. He was kind of lifting Mary's vision to see that his goal was going to be massive and cosmic, eternal, for her salvation. Now, despite that, I think Mary's question to Jesus is kind of common for us, right? I I don't know if any of you have ever done this, but you've you've likely at some point asked Jesus for something uh, that that is much less than saving your soul for eternity. Like maybe you've been running late for something or for work and you ask God to kind of adjust the traffic patterns in such a way so that you can make it on time. Um, not that I've ever done that, but she was, uh, Jesus is asking, or I'm sorry, Mary's asking the king of all things to help with things that are far, far beneath his glorious, his glorious purpose. All right, one example, if you, if you know who Yo-Yo Ma is, he's a very famous cello player, and I was imagining, like, if, if we were to ask, if Yo-Yo Ma had offered to come play cello at your birthday party, and he arrives, and you ask him, could you go pick up some paper plates? We've run out, right? He's come to bless your party in a much greater way than that. That would still be helpful, but same kind of, same kind of concept here in a smaller way. What Jesus came to offer us here is far, far greater than getting more wine at a wedding, far greater than that. He came to secure our eternal joy through his death and resurrection, not, not our temporary joy by fixing smaller issues. And yet, with all of that said, what does Jesus do? He still listens. He still listens to Mary because he loves her. He listens to her because he loves his family. And he listens to us who are his children, his brothers, because, and sisters, because he wants us to come to him with our requests, with our burdens, and to leave them with him. One of the, the things you may have noticed or observed or experienced is that um, newlyweds often love opportunities to meet the needs of their spouses. It doesn't just have to be newlyweds, but I think it's often very pronounced in the early months. A new husband gets a special kind of joy to do things for his new wife. And she gets a special kind of joy asking him to do things because their love is so fresh for one another. Even though Mary was asking Jesus for something that was far less than what he was ultimately going to do for her on the cross, he still listens. And as we're going to see in a moment, he still answers that request far more abundantly than Mary could have expected. Jesus wants his family to bring his requ- our requests to him whether they're big or small. That's you. If you're one of his followers, you are family with Jesus. He wants to know what's on your heart and your mind. It's important. He's not always going to say yes. He won't always say yes to whatever we ask, but he wants us to bring our burdens to him, whatever size they may be, and to leave them with him and to trust that he's going to answer them in a way that is going to be best for us. As we're about to see, he's going to answer them for Mary in a way that's going to give her a greater vision for who Jesus actually is. Jesus wants to hear our requests because of how much he loves us. Now, Mary's response is great. I really appreciate how she responds to this. Whether she felt brushed off or not or rebuked or not, it's not clear, but she responds in really simple faith. 
You see this in verse 5. She tells the the servants, do whatever he tells you. Not my will, but his will. It's a good example for us that we can approach Jesus, bring him all of our cares, all of our burdens, leave them at his feet, and trust in faith for him to do whatever he knows is best. So let's, let's go on to our second point. Jesus answers our requests in greater ways than we can imagine. So let's read verses 6 through 10 once again. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. They filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it, had, where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. Now there's some interesting details here in this passage that I want us to pay attention to at the outset here. Um, The first is these six stone water jars. Now as we go through John from time to time, you're going to notice that he's going to include at certain points very particular details. We get a lot of detail about these these water jars. The number, the composition, the purpose, and the size. And when he does that, when John, John draws our attention to certain things with these kinds of details, it's important to pay attention because John is wanting to draw our attention to them as a part of how he's telling the story, what he's telling us about Jesus. I once read somewhere or heard somewhere that there's filmmakers who are really against the idea of virtual reality movies because um, if you put on a headset and wind up in a movie, right, like looking around, uh, you, they can't actually control what you're looking at anymore, right? And so you might be in the two towers and you just miss Legolas going down the, down the, uh, whatever that thing is, the elephant's, the elephant's nose. Um, but filmmakers often want to draw your attention to specific details because that's part of how they tell their story. It's how they're telling the story of what's going on. And so similar concept here as we're going through John, as, as, as important details come up, as John kind of f- focuses in on certain things, pay attention, they're helping, us, they're helping him to tell the story of what he wants us to see. Okay, so uh, the water jars. What's going on with these water jars? Now, from uh, what we know from other places in Scripture, uh, there were these particular ways that Jews had to wash their hands before they ate, uh, wash their utensils, wash what the things they were sitting on, the dining couches. Um, it was part of their, their, their purification, purification rituals. Um, and make sure that you weren't defiled as you ate. Uh, and these were big, big jars, right? So if you, uh, if you noticed, they said they hold 20 to 30 gallons of water. And so for some context... 20 gallons of water is about 167 pounds. 30 gallons of water is 250 pounds, approximately. And so each of those jugs would have weighed somewhere between 160 to 250 pounds before you add the weight of the stone, which would have been a lot. And so I'm guessing, I don't know, but I'm guessing these servants were not super thrilled about being told to go fill six of these things um, in the middle of the wedding. But... They were rewarded for their obedience because these servants got to be some of the very first people to witness one of Jesus' miracles. As we read, all 150 gallons or so of that water didn't stay water because Jesus 
turned it into wine. Now, at the suggestion of someone here uh, this week, I did a little chemistry research into the normal composition of red wine. The National Institutes of Health says that wine's this complex mixture of several hundred compounds, and the majority of them are found at very, very low concentrations, less than a half percent. There was something like 150 gallons of this wine that had just minutes before been water, like you might be drinking right now. And this wasn't just any wine. Jesus had control down to the tiny ratios of the, the half percents of all the other compounds to make all 150 gallons of it into really, really good wine. Complete, total control at a molecular level over that water. Now, if these servants had known their Old Testament well, for them it was just their scripture, they would have known that something important was happening. Jesus was announcing something important about himself. Amos, one of the prophets, prophesied about the Messiah, and he says this in Amos chapter 9. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. And there's other places where the prophets anticipate the day of the Messiah um, as days where, where wine is kind of the symbol of joy and celebration. And so if these servants and disciples were paying attention, Jesus had just announced something incredible in response to Mary's small request. The old covenant purification rituals had been fulfilled. They weren't needed anymore because the Messiah had arrived. And in place of the water that they had used as a way to kind of cleanse themselves, to purify themselves, in place of that water was wine. Wine that symbolized joy and celebration because Jesus was there. In the presence of the Messiah, he brings joy and celebration for his friends. Now, it's worth mentioning at this point, this is uh, not Jesus condoning drunkenness or wine becoming an idol or place of refuge from life's hardships. We know from lots of places in Scripture, drunkenness is not okay with the Lord. Someone once told me that they heard that this story had been used to justify kind of an over-reliance on wine as a deserved escape after long days. It could be any sort of substance. It's not what this is about. That's a wrong application of this story because the, the point that Jesus is making here has less to do with wine itself and more to do with what that wine was symbolizing for the Jewish people. It meant that those Jews who had been waiting and waiting and waiting for their Messiah, that waiting was over. And like any blessing from the Lord, it came in abundance with Jesus. Now coming back to our story, the master of the feast Um, who would have been something like a wedding coordinator. He gets the wine, and he kind of exclaims to the bridegroom, you've kept the best wine for the end. Uh, You saved the best for last. Which I imagine was confusing for the bridegroom, perhaps rather relieving for him. um, Because it wasn't the bridegroom who had saved the best for last. It was God. And it was much, much more than the wine. God had saved the best for last in Jesus it's an amazing way for Jesus to answer that simple request from Mary. He didn't just solve the issue, but what he did was he pulled back the curtain so that everyone who got to see it happen got a little glimpse of who this man was. He was the Son of God. 
Mary had asked for help with the wine. In return, she got to see that Jesus was the Messiah. So don't be afraid to ask Jesus for what's on your heart. Because he is capable of answering it in massive, massive ways. He knows what is best for us. And he can answer any of our prayers, any of our requests by showing us more of himself. Which is going to bring us to our last point, to believe in the, believe in the bridegroom. <clears throat> so if you look down at verse 11, read that with me one more time. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. <clears throat> so John's wrapping up this first, si- this first sign. is kind of ending the scene uh, by telling us that this was how Jesus first manifested his glory. First showed what his glory was like. And his disciples believed in him. And you might remember from a little while ago, we went through the beginning of John 1 during Advent. <clears throat> and John writes this in John 1.14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So these disciples and the servants and Mary had just seen Jesus' glory, and he had manifested it in this miracle that was meant to help them see that the Messiah had come. That he can answer his family's requests in massive and unexpected ways. I'm curious if this story about Jesus matches your own picture of what Jesus is like. The evil one wants us to think Jesus doesn't really want to hear what you have to say. There's all sorts of reasons that we might feel we can't bring our requests to Jesus. It might be that you just aren't used to doing it. So you're not used to asking Jesus for help. It might be that you feel embarrassed by what you're asking. It might be that as certain needs come up, that where your mind goes is just spinning through all of the potential consequences of what could happen, spinning through what you'll say if, if something happens, rather than telling Jesus about it himself. Jesus wants to hear what you have to say. He wants to know your burdens and your requests. He's not going to respond with anger or shame if you ask him for what's on your heart. It's important that this is Jesus' first sign of his ministry. He's taking Mary's small request to solve an embarrassing situation, announcing the Messiah had arrived, taking these jars that were brimming with water and turning them into jars brimming with wine. Wanting us to see that he can give us far more than we can ask or imagine. <clears throat> I also think it's pretty cool it's special that Jesus does his first sign of his ministry at a wedding. Because the day is coming when we also will be at a marriage supper with the Lamb, those who are God's people. It's going to be an amazing moment when we get to speak with Jesus in person again, or for us for the first time. We still talk to him now through prayer, but there's a day coming when we'll get to see him as we speak to him. The man we've heard about from stories like this, the God that we've prayed to, over and over again, the one who's heard our prayers, who's walked with us through trials and pain, the one who will still have scars on his hands from where he was nailed to the cross in your place, you're going to get to be with him. You'll get to see him and be with him forever when he comes back. John writes about this day in Revelation 19, 
He says this, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. I don't know exactly what that's going to be like, that marriage supper, but we're going to get to be with Jesus, who is our bridegroom. It may be difficult, maybe that it's difficult for you to think about Jesus in that way. But he, Jesus is, talks about himself, shows that he is a bridegroom loving his bride, loving the church, loving us. And he wants you to believe in him. He's alive and he wants you to know him and his power. He's coming again and in his presence he will bring lasting, deep, eternal joy. But that joy will only be for his friends. If you've trusted in Jesus and if you believe he's the Son of God and you've confessed your sin, if you've committed your life to following him, then you are a friend of God. You've been invited to that marriage supper. But if you have not, if you haven't trusted in Christ, I hope you will do so today. Again, as as I prayed at the beginning, John says at the end of this book, he's written all of this, all of these stories all of this gospel, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is where you'll find life. And when the time comes when Jesus returns and invites his friends to dinner with him, the ones who have believed that he is the Son of God will be there, dining with Jesus. Those who have not believed in him, have not believed that he is the Son of God, will be cast out. The Bible warns there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for the horror of not being with him forever. So believe in the bridegroom. If you haven't believed in Jesus and want to do that, I would love to talk with you. Pastor Eric would love to talk with you about that today. But for those who are his, those who have believed in Jesus, the Messiah wants to hear his family's requests. He wants to answer them in major ways. He wants to show you what he's like. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful that you invite us to you for all of our requests, big and small. We thank you for hearing us. Thank you for caring. Thank you that we can leave our requests at your throne and know for certain that you have heard us, that you'll answer in ways that we can't imagine. Jesus, we do long for the day when you come back and we can speak with you face to face and see your power just like Mary and these servants did. So we ask that you would come soon. In the meantime, we ask that you would help us to come to you like you want us to come, bringing our requests to our faithful Savior and friend. Amen.